Well, there's a lot of scripture to think on there, a lot of um, biblical truths, and the, what, a, um, <coughs> what a precious thing that um, God forgives sin. I like that, that line that said, the, the sin that I shunned for a year or two, I wallowed in for a score. Never thought on that before, but I think that would describe a lot of us. And you know what's nice? Is God still forgives, and that God's, uh, God's grace did not run out because your sin abounded. In fact, God uh, multiplied his grace on top of grace, and he has, uh, wherever your sin abounds, grace does much more abound, and that's good news for people like us. So uh, open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Hebrews <coughs> and chapter number 12. The book of Hebrews and chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter 12 is where we will go this morning. I hope that you are all set and ready uh, to listen to God's word as it's going to be taught this morning. Listen, um, last night, of course, um, I hope some of you maybe were able to get settled. Uh, maybe, you, uh, maybe later you talked with someone and just kind of got settled about assurance, about knowing for sure that you have eternal life, about knowing uh, that Christ's suffering has paid for your sins. And uh, still, if you have not gotten that settled, friend, please come on. Uh, let's uh, let's get that thing settled. Come up. By the way, feel. I hope you feel like you can come and talk to me. Uh, should you like to do that, you certainly may. Uh, I don't want you to feel like you can't do that. I will be uh, at the uh, at the coffee shop again from after chapel all the way through till about twelve. And so um, so please come by uh, if you want to talk. Uh, like I said, if you just want to come by and chat, just pull up a seat. But if you want to talk about something serious, we'll kind of um, make sure that that stays private and such. Um, but I want to be a help to you. But please don't just feel like you can. Come come to me, you have, um, you know, one of the things about Christian colleges, sometimes you look up and you see the people on the stage and uh, they seem very distant to you. Um, well, for one thing, it would help if you moved up to the front, but, um, but, uh, the, but, you know, sometimes they just seem so far away and uh, sometimes it just seems like they don't care. And you know what is reality is that uh, I would say, you know, there's always that one or two that you wonder, but folks, I'll tell you this, these people care about you, and they want you to grow. And this is not just some big Maranatha machine that just has to move towards graduation so we can crank out another set of, another set of graduates. Um, they want to see God work in your heart. And so uh, let, uh, let this be a help. You know, one of the things also for, um, uh, for you, many of you already know Jesus as your Savior. And last night um, was also important because, folks, um, a lot of you last night, maybe you um, just listened to what was said and you heard um, and just kind of enjoyed and, um, and just kind of um, relished thinking on Jesus and the payment that he made for you and the wonder of it and we give glory to God and we talk about how beautiful it is and how wonderful the gospel is and it is and I'm going to tell you what if it's really all that beautiful to you and you really mean that listen some stuff there's some stuff going to come out today because some of you you love the gospel until it asks you to change the way you live some of you all uh, are big on gospel, 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 gospel. Folks, part of the gospel is now that you have your eternal life secured, God wants to change you now before you ever see heaven. So let God change you. If you really mean that, if the cross means all that much to you, then today is not going to be all that hard for you because as God points things out in your life, you're going to change whatever God says needs to change. And that's, that's what a Christian who loves, the, who loves their Savior will do. So we're here in the book of Hebrews in chapter number 12. And so let's go ahead and let's read at chapter 12 and verse number 14. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, Follow peace with all men 
and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau. You know, one of the um, one thing that I enjoy a lot, I really, uh, I don't know about you, but I enjoy on TV watching game shows. I'm big on, I enjoy game shows. One of the ones that uh, my family watches a lot is Wheel of Fortune. How many of you, you uh, watch Wheel of Fortune a lot? Can you do that? <laughs> like, not many. How many of you say, my parents are addicted to that game, <laughs> that thing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay, there's some of you like that. Um, Jeopardy, anyone uh, kind of go for Jeopardy, like Jeopardy? One that I think I like a, go- a good bit, I love the game concept of it, Family Feud. I love the game concept of Family Feud. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty good. Um, and so, you know, there's different game shows out there. Of course, nowadays, there's all kinds of game shows uh, that, um, you know, that people keep cranking out. Um, one of the ones that was more, uh, much more popular when I was younger is one, how many of you have ever watched an episode of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Anyone actually watched an episode of that? Okay, yeah, good amount. Yeah, all right. So that game, of course, you have a series of trivia questions, and if you can get them all right, uh, so long as you get them all right and you're going down the line, you can, uh, you can win a million dollars. And uh, every question you get is more money in your pocket. And the thing about uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire is that they give you lifelines. In other words, uh, you might get stumped on a question, and you have three um, lifelines that you can use to try to help you answer the question. Uh, you can poll the audience and see what the audience thinks the answer is. You can phone a friend and uh, give a phone call to someone and, and ask them someone, you know, if it's a hard question about uh, science and you know someone who knows science, you know, there's the person to call. Or maybe you could just, uh, or the last lifeline is 50-50. And what 50-50 does is it takes the four uh, multiple choice options and it takes two of them away so that you're left with just two. Don't you wish you had these on, like, your exams? <laughs> like, uh, like uh, Dr. So-and-so, I'd like to poll the audience right now, you know, and, uh, and arrange ahead of time. All right, we're all going to poll the audience on all these questions, okay? Something like that. Well, um, I was watching this one part of an episode, Who Wants to be a, be a Millionaire? They asked a history question. How many of you like history? I love history. Love history. History makes sense to me. How many of you love math? You love math? Anyone like that? I don't know what happened to you, but God bless you. Uh, I am not a math person. Um, I, believe, I, I believe that math is one of those things created by hurting people to hurt people. Okay, I, I, just don't, I just don't do math, okay? I know someone's got to get the rockets to Mars, but that's just not me, okay? Um, and so I'm, a, I'm much more of, I enjoy history. To me, it makes sense. Kind of lets you know why the world is the way it is in the way that human society interacts. History question, okay? So this was the question, okay? The question was this. Hannibal crossed the Alps using what animal? Now, hold on to that. Raise your hand if you're like, I know it already. I know it already. Good. That's a lot of you already know that. Well, um, so the options. Here's his four options. His four options were rhinoceri, plural for rhinoceros, okay? For those of you who are like, I'm only in college. I just got here. Okay, that's rhinoceri, elephants, llamas, and chihuahuas, okay? So, uh, so for one thing, some of you are like, Hannibal, is that like a, like, no, 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 Okay, Hannibal was a, uh, he was a general for uh, Carthage, I believe, and he was involved in some wars, the Punic Wars, uh, with the Roman Empire, and Hannibal did something that was not expected, is that Hannibal did something the Roman army really was uh, not ready for, is that he took an army of somewhere around sixty to 100,000 soldiers, and he did a move no one was expecting. He went through the Swiss Alps, through the snow, and uh, took his entire army up and over these mountains. It was an incredible 
incredible feat, totally surprised the Roman army. And so there was, there was an animal, a certain animal, that he used many of to help tote all his stuff, his equipment, their war stuff, all, the, all across the Swiss Alps. And, well, this guy did not know. So he did his lifeline 50-50. And it got down to the two options were elephants and llamas. Some of you are like, why are they stickering? I'm, I'm not sure, man. I just thought, <laughs> you know, okay. All right, so, uh, so, uh, so he, um, he did his best guess, and he said, llamas? No, that was not the correct answer. And uh, llamas, uh, you say, but they're on the mountains. Yeah, in another continent, okay? Uh, but uh, they, no, he took elephants. Uh, it was elephants that he took these war, you ever heard of war elephants? Anyone ever heard of a war llama, okay? <laughs> Nobody does that, all right? So he has all these, um, uh, these elephants, and so these elephants are, uh, he bring, uses them to bring the equipment across the mountains. And so, so I, you know, I look at that and I think, you know, even if you don't know a lot of history, when it comes down to moving equipment through the Swiss Alps, llamas or elephants? You know, I, I look at that and I remember thinking, was that really your best option? Was, the, was that the best option that you could come up with of, the, of those two? They even took out two of them and those are the last two they gave. You say, Matt, why do you bring that up? Because of this. The, the book of Hebrews, has a, I think, has a couple of themes to it. I think one of the biggest themes that is in the book of Hebrews is just the whole concept of the new covenant. What a beautiful thing that you see throughout the book of Hebrews. But another um, just very simple, practical theme that you see throughout the book of Hebrews is just this simple concept. It's that Jesus is better. That Jesus, you see it, especially at the beginning, Jesus is better than the angels. You see that Jesus is better than Moses. Uh, the, the new covenant, which involves the sacrifice of Jesus, is better than the old, or than the old covenant. And uh, just Jesus is better. You know, um, in this small section that we just read here in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, I think one thing, if we could take the theme, Jesus is better, um, this little section of Hebrews, we could say, Jesus is better than bitterness. You know something that sometimes people um, forget? Is that especially as I look out across this crowd, I know some of you, I know I, there's pl many of you I just do not know. But, um, you know, many of you, if not, I wouldn't be surprised if every person, if we forced everyone to do so, could walk across this podium and give a story about how someone has hurt you and they still don't care. Probably everyone. You know, you look at people and you think, oh, well, not, you know, not her. You know, she's got a perfect life. Not him. I mean, he's, uh, he's like being asked to do everything around here. You know, he's, he's like the perfect Christian. Oh, man. But if we walked everyone across the stage, including the staff, everyone could give, and some could give a more gruesome story than others, about someone who has hurt them and still don't care. Folks, you know what happens is when, um, the reality is this, we live in a fallen world, so people are going to hurt us because we live with sinners. You know, haters going to hate, sinners going to sin. Thus, because we live in a sin-cursed world, people are going to hurt other people. You know what Jesus says? He says, listen, in the midst of hurt, you are going to be tempted to become angry, to become resentful, and to become bitter. And Jesus says, just so that you know, there's a better option than bitterness. 
So we're going to look at that here this morning. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 15. What I want us to do to understand this concept of, I call it, a better option than bitterness. I want us to ask ourselves several questions. And this is what, these questions will be what walks us through this passage. Number, question number one is, what is bitterness? Can we define it? Verse number 15 says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. What is the idea there of the word, uh, 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 the word bitterness? Well, the idea there, I like how it describes it as a root of bitterness. Now, the word bitterness is the idea of a deep-seated uh, hatred. It's the idea of a resentment towards someone, or you might say even a grudge that will not be reconciled. And this word root has the idea behind it of a poison. In other words, the Bible describes bitterness as a poison. And so what happens is when people hurt you, when circumstances come down the line and bad things happen to you, oftentimes what happens is the devil tries to infuse into us a, a poison that will uh, a poison that will destroy us. It is a slow-moving poison that'll hurt us over time and it's the and it is it comes in the picture of bitterness. And boy, bitterness could you know, that, that poison of bitterness could be triggered by anything. It could be uh, that there was, maybe there was a possession that you had and someone took it away. Maybe there's a possession that you wanted and you could just never got it and get it. And so you became angry, bitter, resentful. I don't know, maybe it was, uh, maybe it was a position. Maybe it was, uh, maybe you wanted to be starter on the team and you know the coach has favorites. You've gotten angry at the coach. Maybe you had a, uh, uh, maybe you had first chair in, in the orchestra, in the band, or something like that, and someone else got the spot in front of you, and so now you've become angry or you've become bitter. Maybe you had um, something. Maybe you had an ability, and you lost it. You know, uh, we, sang, we sang the song, Rejoice in the Lord. Oh, my goodness, what a perfect example. Patrick Pirate, how many of you all have listened to Pastor Pirate? Who's listened to Patrick Pirate? Yeah, of course you have, okay. A lot of you have. So, Ron Hamilton, you know, you know the story about how he got cancer in his eye and had to have the eye removed. He puts a patch on. You know his testimony. He said that it wasn't, it was, I don't know if it was the first Sunday he comes back as he's walking through church. Because you know, uh, you know, he's in his, what was it, his 30s, and he's got this big old patch on his eye. Everyone's staring at him. And some kid walks by and looks at Ron Hamilton and says, look, my me a pirate you, you know you chuckle if that was today if that was today a lot of people would go on social media and have a whole big long paragraph about how words hurt <laughs> instead of just saying he's a kid you know can we grow up just a little bit i understand words hurt can we grow up just a little bit? And you know what Patch didn't do? Ron Hamilton did not go, words hurt. You know what? I just think I'll just, just get angry at everybody. No, he said, you know what? I'm going to use this awkward-looking, funny-looking patch that's on my face, and I'm going to turn this thing into a ministry so that, so that thousands can hear the gospel. You know, he could have gotten bitter. He could have gotten angry. But even though he lost something, he, he did not become angry. Maybe you've lost something. Maybe it's an ability. Maybe you now have a handicap that you didn't have before. Maybe there was a person who was in your life that you had and lost. Or, or maybe uh, it was someone who you wanted to have that would, to be an important part of your life, but they never cared about you. Whatever, maybe. There's all kinds of ways that people hurt one another. There's all kinds of sources of where bitterness can come from. But bitterness, I love how it's described here, as a poison. That it's a poison that gets into our soul and can slowly kill and destroy that's what is bitterness here's question number two how does bitterness happen how does it happen well the bible says verse 15 he says looking diligently okay so he says keep your eyes open watch carefully and he says here's why a lot of times we talk about once say okay 
How does bitterness happen? Usually we would say, well, Brother Matt, the reason I'm bitter is my dad did fill in the blank. Brother Matt, the reason I'm bitter is because my pastor did fill in the blank. Listen, folks, the Bible says that the actions that people have done, the words that people have said that hurt you deeply, the Bible says that is not the reason you're angry and resentful and bitter. What does the Bible say? Why do people become bitter? Verse 15, looking diligently, it says, lest any man fail the grace of God. I don't know how people become bitter. They don't get bitter because they got hurt. They get bitter because they failed to access the grace of God. You know this word, um, this word fail, it's a, it's a really neat word. It has the idea to lack something, to need something, or to miss something. It's the idea that something came, almost like idea of something came by and you missed it. How many of you have ever gone on a flight before? You ever gone on a flight, flown on an airplane? Okay. How many of you have ever missed a flight before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what a, what a. Isn't that terrible? I've only done it once. I've only done it once. I had one other time. It came very close, and uh, it was bad. Walked into, um, walked into the airport. We had about an hour and a half. I had a, a $1,200 ticket from Virginia out to uh, California to preach out there, and uh, I, we're walking into the airport. Our whole family were like, all right, we've only got about an hour and a half. We've got to keep ourselves moving on this one, and I'm serious. I, as we walk into the airport. We're getting ready to go check ourselves in. I put my hand in my pocket probably to grab my wallet. Dr. Mary, I love guns too. I left my pistol in my pocket. Yeah, thankfully we weren't at security yet, okay? And so I had to rush back to the hotel and uh, lock my gun in my, in my truck and get back. I made it, the gate closed three minutes after I got to the gate, okay? It was um, stressful, okay? Now let's say that I had, let's say that I had missed that flight. Can I tell you something? If I missed that flight, answer me this question. This is a duh question. If I missed the flight, and never got to take that flight out to California. Tell me this, people. Did the plane come? Yes, it did. It sure did. It was right there. It's right there at the gate. But what would have happened if I missed that flight? I would have missed my chance to ride out to California. That's the idea of this word miss. It's the idea that you missed out. You know why you're bitter? It's because you missed out on something that could have helped you. And what was it? Well, it says it's the grace of God. Now, one of the things I like to say is that uh, grace is one of those, I call it one of those churchy words that we use a lot, and sometimes we don't understand exactly what it means. We don't know how to define it. What does the word grace mean? The word grace is, if you want to put it in simplest terms, it is a divine, it is a divine favor. It is a favor, or you could say a, a favor that is given to you by God as a gift. It's a favor that is given to you by God as a gift. And what God is saying is that in the midst of opportunities to become bitter, God says, I have a gift for you. Do you like gifts? Do you like presents? We just came out of Christmas break. How many of you got a present this year for Christmas? Would you raise your hand? Oh, good. Okay, lots of people got presents. I love presents, okay? Ask my wife. I am a present addict. My wife knows, especially when um, Christmas rolls around, once uh, Thanksgiving happens, and then uh, usually once Thanksgiving happens, the day after that, we are home in Alabama. Uh, no more traveling until New Year's, and uh, boy, the day we get home, I mean, the day after Thanksgiving, Christmas decorations are going up, and the tree is coming out, and we get that thing decorated, and my wife knows I love it if she can, you know, we order uh, Christmas presents a lot of times in November, and, and uh, I love it if she will have them wrapped 
pretty much by the end of November, beginning December. You know why I love it when she wraps them? Because she wraps them and puts them under the Christmas tree. And you know what's cool is then I get to sit and stare at them for weeks. Because I love presents. Presents are cool. And if you don't like presents, you can just go hang out with Scrooge and Grinch, and the three of you can just have a wonderful, I don't even know what time. Uh, but uh, I, I, I absolutely love presents. Can I tell you what's dumb? Can I tell you something that's dumb? You ever, you ever been in this kind of situation? You're at home, and it's Christmas morning. Maybe think back to especially more childhood days. You know, presents are opening. Everyone's opening presents. You know, everyone gets their stuff. You got your stuff surrounding you, and, and um, there's still a present under the tree. And you're just like, Mom, whose present is that? And they're like, oh, that's for Aunt so-and-so. She can't be here right now, but we just put her under the tree. And so we're going to see her in another week. We're going to go visit her. And when we visit her, we'll give her her present. Did you ever have a kid, as a kid, kind of get a complex thinking, but it's Christmas Day. And all presents are supposed to be open. What an adult concept to stick a present under the tree and then say, oh, it's Christmas Day, but we're not opening it. What, a, what an adult concept, you know? And I love opening presents. I love gifts. I, I just love it. And you know, this, um, I, I just love, uh, love presents. And you know, that's the idea of the word grace. Grace is a gift. It's something that God gives to people. And God says that in situations where you've been hurt, where you're tempted to become bitter, God says, I have a gift for you, and it's grace. What do, could I put it this way, what do these gifts of grace look like? They look like joy. They look like peace wouldn't you love having a little peace in your home wouldn't you love it if situations had more peace in them more joy in them gifts of peace gifts of joy gifts of comfort gifts of the power to love someone who does not deserve to be loved gifts of the power to forgive someone who does not deserve to be forgiven do you know that God has gifts for you of peace, love, joy, comfort, power to love, power to forgive? They're all available to you. And you know how you access them? Ask for them. You say, well, Matt, that's, uh, that doesn't sound deep enough. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of what? Grace. So that what? So we may obtain mercy and find what? Grace to help in our time of need. Do you know how often God gives you gifts of grace? When you ask for it. God's gifts of grace are not something that he just says, well, I don't know if you deserve it yet. I don't know if you're worthy yet. I don't know if I really want to give you to those. No, Hebrews 4.16 says that God's gifts of grace are given when we ask for them. You know what he says? In your situation where you want to become angry, when you want to become bitter, God says you can ask for my grace, and he says he will give it to you. It's almost like God has a brimming pitcher of grace, and you've got a teeny tiny cup, but a cup that will satisfy you for that moment, and God's pitcher of grace is just brimming, saying, just ask, just ask, just ask, just ask. James 4, 6 says that God giveth more grace. Hebrews, uh, or I'm sorry, 1 Timothy 1.14 says, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul said about his thorn in the flesh, he said that God's grace was sufficient for thee. 
for my strength is made perfect in weakness. You know, uh, it wasn't, uh, Paul did not say, or, or Jesus did not say to Paul, oh, one day my, my strength's going to be sufficient for you. He says it already is. It's already exactly what you need. It says, if you ask for grace, gifts of grace like comfort and peace and joy and the power to love, the power to forgive, God says, you ask for it and I will give it. Do you know why we become bitter? Because we fail to access the grace of God. We miss it. God brought gifts of grace there. They were there. They arrived at the gate and they were there available to you. But instead of accessing God's gifts of grace, you said, I think I'll stay angry a while. And that plane has departed. And then you wonder why you are so angry. Folks, God doesn't intend for you to live in this, in this, this cesspool of bitterness. And it's, can I put this out there? Listen. It is impossible to be bitter if you're accessing God's grace. It is impossible to become bitter if you are accessing God's grace. You know what we oftentimes do is say, Matt, you don't know my situation. You're right. I don't. If that's your excuse, I'm going to tell you this. You clearly don't know the grace of God. Because God's grace, I love how in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, God says, my grace is crafted to meet your needs in your situation. In other words, your situation does not justify something the scriptures condemn. So that's how we become, uh, that's how we um, become bitter. But then what does bitter, here's question three, what does bitterness do to you? Well, verse 15 says that this root of bitterness will spring up, it says, and it will trouble you. You know what the word trouble means? The word trouble means to afflict. It means to cause someone to suffer. Aren't you done with suffering under bitterness? I'm not talking about that I'm not talking about the emotional anguish that comes when someone hurts you. I'm not I mean, we're not dealing with that right now. I'm not talking about, about maybe the flashbacks that come because someone is hurt with you. I'm not dealing with that right now. I'm talking about the anger that you're holding on to. You know what it'll do? It will not soothe you. It will not comfort you. It will not justify you. It will afflict you and make you hurt more. More than you need to. You're already hurting enough. Why hurt yourself more? And that is what bitterness does. It troubles you. It will afflict you and hurt you. I mean, there's even doctors, physical doctors have said that they said that uh, bitterness, literally just anger towards people, can trigger headaches, ulcers, vomiting, insecurity, skin trouble, self-harm, glaucoma, depression, insanity, and even suicide. How sad. You know, um, again, you like history. Maybe you've heard of a guy, if you, you know history, you may have heard of a guy named Otto von Bismarck big guy, in the, uh, especially as uh, those European powers were coming together. He was the one who united the Prussian states and made one unif was known for making the one unified Germany and really kind of pitted um, European alliances against one another, really setting up the stage uh, for World War I. You know that Bismarck, Otto von Bismarck was a very bitter person. It was said about him 
His biographers said that he carried bitterness with him. They said he ate too much, he drank too much, he talked too much, and he spent his nights rehearsing conflicts, both real and imaginary. Some of you do that too. The the biographer said when he had no immediate cause for hate, he'd dredge up a skeleton from the past and chew on it for a while. One morning, the biographer said, Bismarck came downstairs and proudly announced, I have spent the whole night hating. And some of you do that too. Don't you want out? Some of you do that. Don't you want out? Bismarck said that eventually the biographer said he grew a beard to hide the twitching muscles of his face. He had got jaundice, gastric ulcers, gallstones, and shingles. When a publisher offered him a large sum of money for his life story, he began to write with reckless disregard for the truth, heaping hate on men and women long dead. Uh, this hatred was his passion. They said that he died at age 83, an embittered, cynical, desperately lonely old man who was miserable and self-consumed. Guys, bitterness will make you suffer more it'll trouble you what else then what does bitterness do to others well it also says in verse 15 it says <clears throat> let's say root of bitterness springing up trouble you it says and thereby many be defiled that word defiled means to stain or to taint something to stain something you ever got a stain on your clothes you know what happens is bitter people hurt other people you know that bitter people watch this now bitter people are some of the biggest hypocrites in the church. Because they talk about how much they hate how people have hurt them. And yet oftentimes it's bitter people that hurt other people. Usually it's the ones they claim to love the most. Are you troubling other people? Listen, bitterness will not only hurt you, it will hurt the people that you claim to love but then here's the last thing or here's one more thing uh, what will bitterness make you become bitterness opens the door verse 16 it says it opens the door that you'll become one of two or maybe a combination of the both it says lest there be a fornicator or a profane person you know where bitterness leads it leads to fornication and it says profanity what is fornication well it's just a simple greek word that means any form of sexual sin you know where bitterness will take you it'll take you into immorality I remember uh, when I was at Bible college, I was counseling a guy. Guy came in, he was looking for trouble, or he was looking for help. He had trouble with his, uh, with his thoughts. He had trouble with pornography. He really wanted to get victory over it. We were kind of working through things. It, it just, uh, I don't know, he was having, he was, some days were up, some days were down, uh, some days were okay, and just, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't great. He went home for a Christmas break, comes back, we resumed counseling, and I said, how'd Christmas break go? And he's talking about his stuff and things that he had, you know, how it went, and he starts talking about his dad. Starts talking about his dad, and, and uh, as he's going on about his dad, all of a sudden, as he's talking, I realize there's issues between him and his dad. And he continued to talk, and it came out, because he was a very tender guy, and it came out, he had anger against his dad. And I said, hey, come here. And I opened up this verse, I said, listen, you know what it says bitter people will become? It says they'll become fornicators. I said, you know, I wonder if the whole reason you struggle with this sexual struggle is because you're bitter. You know what happened, people? This guy got bitterness right with his dad, and all of a sudden, it was like a night and day difference. All of a sudden, he started getting victory over pornography. 
Some of you, because you've been hurt so bad, you're running to sexual places to find comfort. Because you're looking for it. And the devil said, you'll find comfort in immorality with your boyfriend. You'll find comfort in pornography. You'll find comfort in, in, in uh, promiscuity with your girlfriend. The devil's lied to you and is just creating more scars. Or he says, you'll, the Bible says you'll either become a fornicator or he says you'll become profane. What does the word profane mean? Well, we think of profanity, cursing. The word profane here simply means godless. It means to be void of things that are of God. In other words, you become bitter, people, it don't take long before you will be done with God. God, my name of Carl. Carl was a, um, I don't know a, a lot about, especially his really younger years, but from what I've been told and read, um, Carl grew up in a rich and a religious home. I don't know exactly how religious, but um, some say that he actually would have heard the gospel in his home. And so Carl, uh, you know, he was wealthy, he was religious, but they said that he, um, he didn't get saved and he went into college as he was growing up and uh, still was not saved. And as far as, um, from what I was told, uh, he asked for something, prayed for something, and didn't get it. I don't know what that may be. You know, he was wealthy, so he could probably get whatever he wanted. Maybe it was the, um, maybe it was the attention of a group of friends. Maybe it was a girlfriend that he wanted. I don't know. But he, he prayed for something and did not get it and carl became bitter and angry as carl began to get older he began to write about his bitterness listen to this poem that carl wrote he said so a god has snatched from me my all in the curse and rack of destiny all his worlds are gone beyond recall nothing but revenge is left to me thus heaven i forfeited i know it full well my soul once true to god is now chosen for hell whoa he also wrote some uh, at least one book i know of he might have wrote more than one You know what he wrote in his book? He said, one of his main premises in his book was this. He said, Carl said this, quote, Our enemy is God. Hatred of God is the beginning of wisdom. I wish to avenge myself against the one who rules above. A friend of Carl's by the name of Robert Payne wrote that Carl, quote, had the devil's view of the world and the devil's malignity. Robert uh, Payne said sometimes Carl seemed to know that he was accomplishing the works of evil. Why? Because he got bitter. You know, you want to say, did he trouble others? Oh, yeah, he did. And he was a fornicator, for one thing. Um, he was a fornicator. Uh, he had an affair with his housemaid. And then did he, did he trouble others? Oh, yes, he did. In fact, of his children, I was reading, some said he had six, some said he had seven. I didn't quite get the exact number this morning as I was looking at this. But it said that of his children, three of his children starved to death. I don't even know how that happens. Three of his children starved to death. Two of them committed suicide. And the sixth one married a Satanist. His wife also committed suicide. Did he trouble others? Oh, yeah. In fact, his book got published. And you may have heard of the book Communist Manifesto. Karl Marx established the grounds for communism based on I hate God. His bitterness. That's why, I, that's why for me, I'm so, <laughs> I'm just... So anti-communism, because it is based from a man who hated God and became bitter and angry. You don't think that, what, could you imagine, could you see where bitterness could take you? You say, I would never go that far. 
you watch out. The devil's got you right where he's, he has successfully lied to you, and you've believed it. So this final thing will close. Let's ask this final question. How is bitterness overcome? How is bitterness overcome? How about this? Well, you might say, I see myself in this picture of bitterness. What can I do? First of all, can I say this? Confess your bitterness as sin to God. Now listen very carefully. A lot of people get upset when a preacher or a counselor, all the times it's a counselor, will say to them, sometimes they'll talk, give them a story, and of course it's a true story, and they'll talk about how so-and-so hurt them in such and such a way. And I know this, is, I know this has happened before. The counselor will, in essence, will say to the person, listen, uh, I can't do anything about you know, your dad. I can't do anything about that man. I can't do anything about that woman. But what we can do is we can, I can try to help you and specifically help you overcome bitterness. And people all of a sudden say, oh, so you think that guy's done nothing. You think he's done nothing. And you think it's me to blame. That is not what that counselor said. But our society taught us, say that. That's really sad. And you know what the devil really has done is he has successfully said, just stay angry. The devil has said, you're allowed to be angry. You're allowed to be bitter. You're allowed to hold on to and harbor the thing that God calls sin because you've been hurt that deeply. Listen, can I tell you something? Jesus says there's a better option than bitterness. When are you going to stop letting bitterness rip you in shreds? When are you going to stop letting bitterness tear your heart apart? Listen. When? Remember a time in my life when I had to confess my sin of bitterness to God. Guys, I would not be here if I had not gotten bitterness right with God. I would not be here. I can only imagine, looking at what the Bible says comes to a bitter person, I can only imagine the pit that I would be in at 32 years old. That's, that's the pit that some of you are rushing towards because you've got, you are insistent on holding on to and harboring your anger. Confess it as God. Don't excuse your hatred. Don't blame other people for making you angry because God says the reason you're angry isn't because you got hurt. The reason you're angry is because you failed to access the grace of of God. Listen, no one is excusing your dad, that filthy guy, another, some other filthy guy, some, some messed up woman, some, some older brother, older sister. No one is excusing them. Maybe they should be in jail. But I'm going to tell you this. You can pick if you want to be angry and bitter, or you can pick if you want to access God's grace. So ask God for the grace to love and to forgive some of you are going to have to get on your knees and start saying, God, I don't know how you're going to work this thing together for good. That's what Romans 8, 28 says. I don't know how you're going to work this together and make all things come out for good. But Lord, I'm trusting you to do it. Give me peace in my heart. Give me a joy that I haven't had for years. Help me to love people who shouldn't, don't deserve love. Help me to forgive people who don't deserve forgiveness. You know what that is? That is asking for grace. And God says he will give grace to those who will ask for it you know um um joseph in the bible my goodness what a messed up home he had um one mom and three stepmoms living in the same home at the same time can you imagine what that must be like the weirdness of that he was falsely accused he was abused he was almost murdered and you know he said to his brothers in genesis 50 verse 20 he says but as for you you thought evil against me 
But God meant it unto good to bring to pass and it is, as it is this day to save much people alive. You know, God was not, God did not approve of what the brothers did to Joseph, but God used their sin against a godly man to use that godly man to save a whole mess of people. You know, what if Joseph had become bitter? We can play the what if game all day of what if, what if, what if. I'm going to tell you this. If nothing else, Jesus says this. My grace is a better option than bitterness. You got someone you're angry against? Let it go. You say, but I, 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 I don't, it's not right to say that they were innocent. No one said they're innocent. No one said that. I'm just telling you, your life will be better, your relationship with God will be better if you'll access God's grace. Bow your heads and close your eyes. We need to close quickly here, okay? Let me just leave you with this. If you need to talk, and by the way, can I just say this? Some of you do. Because you have a lot of stuff to walk through on this thing. If you need to talk, will you come up to the front? When, when, we, when I close in prayer and dismiss you, will you come on up to the front? I'll be here. You want to talk? You can talk with me. You want to talk with, uh, maybe if you're a girl, you want to talk with a lady, we'll have ladies. we got some other Bible faculty up here that can counsel with you, okay? Listen, please don't stay in bitterness. Jesus is better than staying angry. He has grace that could change you and give rest to your heart. So come on up to the front. As, uh, when I finish praying if you would, and dismiss, if you'd like to get some help. Lord, help us. Holy Spirit, convince those who are here who are not, who are not convinced yet if, if your grace is sufficient. Holy Spirit, convince them. Show them their need of you. Comfort the hearts that need comfort, for you are the great comforter. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.